0: Just a slight warning for this program, it's a little mature for kids. For the Federation, written by J. A. Becker. The night terror started, and that's a very bad sign, apparently. But honestly, what the hell do they know? Not a damn thing, if you ask me. I'm frenzied and worthless, kneeling beside Sam, singing to him, holding his little body down to stop him from hurting himself. He's totally gone, eyes black and swinging his arms and screaming in a life-and-death battle with the little monsters in his head. I shake with rage and choke back my tears, I want to reach into his brain and pull the little bladers out and crush them between my razor-red fingernails one by one. And then I want to punch Craig as hard as I can in his square, strong jaw for bringing us here to this not-even-partly-annexed-stinking-swamp planet. And for bringing us to that fetid bog where they crept into Sam's ears on little sticky legs and wrapped themselves tight around his brain. And for the Federation doctors who don't know anything about anything. Drawing in a deep, ragged breath, I hold it and hold it and hold it till it hurts. Then I blow out the poison in a long, steady stream. I can't let hate destroy what I have left. There's still time for my seven-year-old baby boy. Maybe. The bedsheets are like a boa constrictor around his skinny throat. I untie them and futilely whisper over and over how much I love him and how I will save him. Whatever the cost, my baby boy Sam, I will save you. A five car convoy creeping down a dusty road is a target. Might as well have a flag flying on the roof that says, Federation Council President Craig Benson inside. Beth, my dear, how else do we get there? Craig asks, turning his square head around in the passenger seat to address me. A jump ship? I reply acidly, not at all liking that, my dear, routine of Craig's. I stroke Sam's head, but he pushes my hand away and turns his golden face to watch the foliage blur by the window. Better now, all forgotten, I guess. They'll pull that down, Craig says. Anything they can see, they can pull down. Well, isn't that some kind of a monumental screw-up, I say? Land a whole Federation regiment on an annexed planet for pacification, without even knowing that the natives can kick your butt. What kind of lame brain made that decision? He doesn't say anything, just turns his back to the road. Low blow that. I know it was his decision. Everything to do with this disaster was his decision. And so, who's this second-rate quack we're going to see this time, I ask. I've got to dial it back, but it just keeps bubbling out. Retired Colonel Max Benson, Craig replies, he was a doctor in the biotech corps. Retired? We're really dredging the bottom of the barrel now. Their sky is the color of ash. Yet their trees are almost neon green. How is that possible? And their suns are two perfect red coals high up in the horizon. Devil eyes glaring at us. Hands down, it's the vilest backwater planet I've ever set my boots on. Despite the red ocean between us, I still love Craig. It sickens my heart right now, but I do. I have to remember that the weight of 250,000 Federation lives and all the lives of this planet's inhabitants are on his shoulders, and Sam's too. I'm just a gun, you point and shoot, but he's got the weight of a world to carry. It's easy for me, and crushing for him. Sam suddenly straightens, points out the window, and babbles incoherently. He stopped talking a week ago, which is another very bad sign. According to the Ancient Federation scouting report, we managed to dredge up from the archives. Not much there, of course, just a couple dispatches about a scout that came down with brain parasites that the nanos couldn't expunge. Apparently, his head swelled and blew like a watermelon four weeks after he stopped talking. I can't believe they actually put that into the report. It's more color than you'd expect from grunt scouts. And then I see all too late what Sam is babbling about. Five of them step out from the trees. You can barely tell them apart from the trees. They're like walking willows, bark arms and stick legs and bristling heads of ivy. Is it any wonder why we underestimated them? Grabbing Sam, I jam him down hard beneath my seat. Then I grab Craig by his big stocky shoulders and yank him into the back with us and pile him on top of Sam. Both of them squeal and squirm, but they're no match for my enhanced strength. Jump, I order the driver, and he rams his foot down on the pedal to vault us into the barren ash sky. But it's too late. The two-ton black armored car running the van splits apart like a piece of wet tissue and a dozen Praetorian guards, kitted to the nines, come spilling out and skip across the dusty earth. At that velocity, they're dead. My little implant calculates. Our engine screams, but, we, but all we do is come to a slow stop. One car's shimmering black hood buckles as if some invisible giant is sitting on it. I'm out and firing my sidearm at the snap of a finger. Impact round catches one right between his wooden teeth and he blows apart beautifully. The car behind us leaps into the air as if it were chucked by some mighty hand. Then it comes apart and twelve little men sail into the ash sky. I catch another on the side of the head, and that turns him into a cartwheeling ball of fire that skitters into the neon jungle. Then I and the open car door I crouch behind are seized by some unseen hand and tossed away. We sail maybe two football fields in length. Then I twist fluidly around and land on my feet while the door shatters on the ground behind me. At exactly nine hundred ninety-nine point three thousand three hundred thirty-four feet away, I take aim and catch another right where his, hmm, would be, and he's sodden half. The Praetorian guards have set up a box perimeter around our car and are firing. They're not accurate, though. Bullets and explosions rocket all around the remaining willows, but nothing touches them. I file a note away for more scenario training for the guards. Scenarios I will run personally. Running now, quickly closing the gap between me and Craig and Sam. My heart is still at rest, and I haven't broken a sweat yet. Still, even at this age, I amaze myself. Twelve black armor-clad Praetorian guards stand in front of our car, suddenly blast apart like bowling pins, and scatter into the sky. Running, I jump 15 feet into the air toward them and straighten into a perfect arrow with my handgun at the tip, and I take aim. I am death on a lightning bolt, and they have no chance whatsoever. Sam steps out of the car and into my line of sight. Mid-air, I twist sideways and re-aim around him. Then I feel a gentle hand on the back of my neck, which presses down and steers me headfirst into the earth. The impact snaps my neck, and the world goes dark. Some internal clock somewhere inside me is broken, so I've no idea how long I've been out. I shake my head to realign myself. A foiled assassination attempt on Craig five years ago shattered my spine. The hard mercury replacement has partially liquefied and nearly reformed the crack in my neck. There's no danger. We're back at the base. I can tell from the cold steel walls. And Craig is still alive. Or they would have put a bullet between my eyes for failing to protect him. A startled thought rockets through me. Sam, is he okay? I pause and consider that train of thought. Truly, I am a monster, not a mother. My last thought should have been my first thought. I snap up to a sitting position, and they're both at the end of the steel table. Sam, untouched, Golden hair falling over his eyes, not a scratch on his seven-year-old slender frame. And Craig, a tall, square gorilla with a deep, bloody gash across his forehead that I realized was from me when I jammed him beneath seats. It's not a reunion written for the movies. Sam doesn't move. I lug my bleeding, broken form with the dozen tubes attached to it across the table to put my arms around him. He doesn't hug back. His eyes are black, and those nightmares are now visibly bubbling beneath the skin of his forehead. It is so hard to see an enemy an inch from my face, and I can't kill it. It breaks me. Beth, they assure me you're okay, Craig says putting his long arms around us. You're going to be fine. His heart rate is elevated. Body is rigid. Stress cracks. Splay from the corners of his blue eyes. Very unlike him. Are you okay? I ask. Why the hell are you thinking of me right now with you nearly destroyed on the table? Stop thinking of me. I don't deserve it. And he suddenly backs away. Sam makes some screeching noise and covers his ears, leans into me for protection. Shock cascades through me. Never once has Craig ever yelled at me. Despite being through hell together, he always maintained his game indifference. I'm sorry, he said. I'm sorry. He touches Sam's shoulder, who shies away from him. There's another wrinkle that's presented itself, he says to me. And what, pray tell, can be worse than this imperial screw-up, I ask? I'll just come right out and say it, because it's so insane, he says. Sam has apparently developed the ability to do what they can do. It doesn't register, or I don't let it. What in the living hell are you talking about, I ask. Craig leans in takes Sam's slender shoulders and his massive meat hooks. Sam, buddy, can you go watch the vids while Beth and I talk? Wordlessly, Sam walks over to a chair and sits. He flips on a vid screen and the algos recognize him and start playing his favorite show. You didn't see it, Craig says. Sam stepped out of the car, reached his hand out, and the earth rolled up beneath the willow's feet like it was a carpet. Then Sam made a throwing motion, and the whole ball, two tons of earth, grass, and trees, was hurled away. I don't know how far they flew or where they landed. They became specks on the horizon. I let that new intel soak into my cerebellum. I lie back. The dozens of tubes connected to me rattle and clank on the metal table. I squint against the overhead lights, needling into my eyes. I don't know what to make of it. The balance of running the situation out here has become a little more challenging now, he says. Not registering his meaning, my hands ball into fists and lightly pound the table. His massive hand engulfs my bare foot, and he gently squeezes it. You want a bit of the Federation's attention, he explains, isn't a bit of it, just a bit of it. So they give you what you need to do your job. But if you fly over the radar, you suddenly become of interest to the hires up. And Sam doing this, this "'Thing is flying over the radar,' I ask. "'Yes, some general somewhere will want to own this, "'probably General Mackinaw, "'as he's weak and being forced out "'and he's been snooping around. "'Desperation has no boundaries. "'It's nothing for him to send a regiment of his own "'to claim this place and all the powers within it. "'Claim whatever it is that Sam has. "'It'll elevate him tenfold.' in the eyes of the council. Cold terror coils in the pit of my stomach. It's all I can do to stop myself from leaping off the bed and kicking something to oblivion. This is just a game, I spit. He's, he's just a, and I stopped to look at him, my son, blankly watching the vid screen. He hasn't eaten since it happened. He's become a whittled stick with thin arms, and I can see his ribcage poking against his T-shirt. He's unique to begin with. Royal bodyguards like me are forbidden to have children. And men like Craig, council presidents, are chemically castrated from birth. So they're nothing more important than the Federation to think about. And then this miracle, this madness, this... "'upending of our design and purpose. "'It's all a game,' Craig says, squeezing my foot painfully. "'And you're losing sight of that. "'You're forgetting that the moment you stop thinking it is "'is the moment you lose your edge. "'Hurts now. He's almost breaking it. "'I look to Sam, and I can't scream. "'You've been distracted, unfocused, "'more concerned about Sam than your job.' And that can get all of us killed. Me, you, Sam, and everybody here. A sob swells in my chest, but I don't let it out. I bite it back, and I don't kick his hand away from crushing my foot either, because I deserve it. He's right. I am an unfit killer and an unfit mother. I've contained this for now, he says. The news hasn't spread. The only ones who know are the guards that were with us. And I immediately put them out on patrol with complete radio silence. He releases my foot, smiles deeply. Those square teeth are brilliant white. They're 50 clicks out northwest from the base and are due back in an hour. It would be awful if something happened to them and they couldn't make it back to report what they saw. I nod and begin pulling the tubes from my body I am a gun And he's just pointed And pulled the trigger Then I stop As some mad little thought Flutters in my head And Sam? I ask An almost imperceptible flush of crimson Crosses his face Then it's gone just as suddenly And he's a cold wall again I have thought of everything. An old friend, a highly decorated bioengineer, is surreptitiously on his way here with a dozen of his crew. They will get to the bottom of Sam. You don't need to think about it. Sam raises his cherub face from the vid screen to smile at me, eyes sunken deep in starving sockets. "'I'm sorry, Craig. I wasn't doubting you. I was just—' "'There is nothing to be sorry about,' he says, cutting me off. "'Just don't fail us. Me, the Federation, and Sam. Again.'" Fifty clicks out, they're all dead. Even with my enhanced vision, I stumble about in this land's inky black midnight. Not a star, not a moon, not a peep of light. Their twisted corpses litter the trees— I find phaser burns on their armor. One has their head neatly separated from its body. Some kind of energy sword, from the looks of it. Because the neck is cauterized. Another has a perfect hole burned through the center of his forehead. And as I'm bent over admiring the marksmanship, I turn my head ever so slightly. And that's what saves me from having it cut off. The killer doesn't make a single sound, just creeps up and slices at my neck with an electric blue blade, which crackles a centimeter by my neck. I roll and roll, and then I'm up on my feet and firing, but whatever it is, they're gone. Then a foot fills my face, and I fly back about ten feet from the blow and slam up against a tree. Through the bloody haze cascading over my eyes, I see who it is. It's me. A younger me, fresh out of the academy. My stars, how striking was I! Six feet, perfect proportions, wonderfully curvy hips, full lips, and short bobbed blonde hair. Though I can't see them, her eyes are flawless jade green, like mine. Concubine, assassin, and bodyguard, all perfectly assembled into one. And not a single scar bruise blemishes that perfect creamy white skin of hers. She's impossibly fast, like I used to be, and closes the distance and slashes that electric blue sword of hers. I duck, and the tree I'm slammed up against is neatly severed in two. It goes crashing down behind me with a tremendous boom. Pretty good for a birther, she says, as she pops my head up by kneeing me hard in the face. I killed a girl in college for calling me that once, but that was a long time ago. Somehow she's disarmed me in all of this. Vibro knife, sidearm, and my rifle all neatly stripped away without me noticing. My God, was I good. She spins neatly, flawlessly, and back kicks me in the stomach, knocking the wind out of me. My right cross is a long time coming, and she easily dodges it, catches me by the wrist, and flips me onto my back. And she's so perfectly like me that before I can even move, she drives her sword straight through my abdomen and into the ground, staking me to the hard earth. Her mission is to kill, obviously, because she doesn't utter a word before she pulls out her sidearm, takes aim, and fires. Only the inexperience of youth would have left me alive, a mistake I would never make twice. I drag myself along the ground, leaving a thick trail of blood behind me. There were words burned into my mind that gave me courage in times like this. I am nothing but to serve, and to serve I become everything. For the Federation, for my liege, my life, I pledge to thee. But they give me no comfort now. There's a med kit in the guard's bag who had his head severed. I struggle with the catch. So simple, but my fingers are all thumbs. Have I been retired? I wonder as I fumble. Is she my replacement? It would make sense. It's expected when I've failed so often and lived well past my prime. And a birther, too. No more excuses necessary. My hand shakes and I drop the injection gun. My fingers can't close around the handle to pick it up. A continuous stream of liquid pours from my tiny red nails. Craig set me up, or was she General Macaws, or are they both working together and I'm in the way? It's all possible. Craig isn't bred to love like me. He's bred to think, to plot, to plan. Or am I exactly where I'm supposed to be? Not a mother, not a killer. No longer a concubine, no more an assassin. I am a sad, broken gun with no one to pull the trigger. A useless thing. And Craig made the right decision to replace me. For this world and for its lives and for the Federation that depends on me, I am nothing now. Like a tidal wave, these thoughts wash through me, ripping everything from me and leaving me raw and bare. I throw up whatever's left in my stomach, then hate myself for the gut-wrenching pain it causes. My body convulses electrically. Needles stab through my eyes. I've been hurt before in battle, but nothing like this. There's more tears cascading down my face than I've cried in this lifetime. I can't hold it all in my head. I can't see through what to do or who to kill. There's no place for me anymore. No Craig, no Federation, no reason. Then a thought strikes a gong in my head that shatters everything in my mind. Sam. He is the finger on my trigger, and he is the reason to pull it. Everything else doesn't matter. Just him, my boy, my impossible boy. I am gobsmacked by this revelation, and I shake from the pleasure of this new purpose. Suddenly, I find I can grasp the medigun, and I jam it into my arm and pull the trigger. Nanos stream in and start painfully weaving my flesh back together. Almost hurts more than when it was torn apart. Though the mind-numbing pain... I pull a thick silver bandage out of the bag and wrap it around my waist. It inflates to cut the bleeding off. Then I tend to my little wounds like a pianist playing the piano. My fingers flitter about on their own accord. There's a dead elite army scattered in these trees around me. Ammo, guns, grenades. Enough for whatever Sam needs. We were so beautiful together, I whisper. You the brain and I the hand. They wanted to make you a general because of me. No higher honor for our pairing, do you remember? Craig is dead asleep beneath me, nestled snug in our bed. His guards lie in the doorway, broken. Very poor training. I blame myself. I slip the hypo-needle out of my bag without waking him, then lean in close to his face and put the point to his thick, pulsing, carotid artery. Still, he sleeps, eyes frantically searching for answers beneath his lids. I know it's conditioning, I know it's genetic, and I know it's orders, but no matter how it's come about, I still love him. That part of me, I just can't kill. A quick jab and he's out. I unfold my black stiletto and get to work, neatly slicing off his index finger. I pull the guards inside the door and lock them in. In 20 hours, Craig will wake up with the worst headache of his life, and Sam and I will be long gone. Like a rat, I scurry through the air ducts. I easily pounce on the remote droids in the vents and put my stiletto through their eyes to disable them. Then a finger on a door and it opens. There's more than I expected in Sam's room. It seems the highly decorated bioengineer is already here. Sam is out on his bed and hooked up to five different machines. A long lobotomy-like laceration across his forehead nearly makes me cry out. I slip inside and gently close the door behind me. He is so impossibly thin beneath his sheets. He's barely there. Now I know why they can't take them out. On the monitor, I can see them in his head. They're far more active than I realized. They look like black leeches squirming through the tender folds of his cerebellum. His head is a wriggling ball of them. I carefully shut off the monitors so as not to set off an alarm. Then I gently unhook the wires and tubes coming from him. He doesn't stare. He's in a mild medical coma. I have no plan but rescue. After that, it's anybody's guess. For the first time in my life, I'm running without a full battle strategy. There was no time for anything else. I gently lift him up off the bed, and I can't help but pause for a moment to hold him in my arms. I listen to his struggling breaths and smell his wonderful scent. I should have done this every single night before bed. So many regrets. Then we're out and down the corridor, easily slipping past the guards, as I know the exact timing of their patrols. And then a finger on the hangar's bay door. And here is where it gets tricky. There's over 300 jump ships, cars, tanks, and cycles in there. It's going to be nearly impossible to sneak one out undetected. We're moving toward a black armored car when she appears on the hood of a tank, steps off, and lands gingerly. Unbelievable! She didn't take me out with a rifle the moment I stepped in, which she could have easily done. And to boot, she's unarmed, except for the electro-sword, which catches blue fire as she switches it on. She thinks she could take me out and reinstate her reputation in the process. I know her mind. Was I always that arrogant, I wonder, or that stupid? I let inexperience guide her into imagining I'll only defend now that she's got the upper hand. I lash out unexpectedly. Shocked, she just has enough time to pivot and my stiletto sticks into her collarbone instead of her neck. I use that stunned moment to leap into the air with Sam nestled in my arms and kick her twice in the face with my hard black boots. She tumbles backward. Her sword skitters across the black iron floor. Bad luck, though. Twelve thunder boots stomp in. Somebody has alerted the guards. A finger on the jump jet's door panel, and it swooshes open. I've just enough time to lay Sam down before she gets me. She plunges my stiletto into my back, and the blade breaks off on my hard mercury spine. I would never have let her poetic revenge lead me like that, even at her age. I would have sliced off the top of my skull with the sword and been done with it. I place my two hands on the jump jet's cargo bay floor, and I double-dog donkey-kick her in the face. She turns the momentum of that devastating blow into backflips and lands perfectly beside her sword. She does the splits, retrieves her sword, and scissors herself back up to standing, all in one fluid motion. I'm dead now. I see that. Strength, speed, and youth, it's still more than a match for cold, hard experience. Mom. I turn. Sam is sitting up. He reaches his hand out, and electricity crackles around me. My younger me is in mid-air now, sword straight out, legs back, and a perfectly executed fencing flesh that will skewer my head like a toothpick through an olive. Then she's gone. She, the troops, and 200 of the tanks, jump ships, and armored cars are scooped up and thrown through the hangar's back wall with a world-ending crash. The force of the wind tears at me, "'tries to suck me out along with the mess. "'Then stillness. "'I watch them disappear into the backdrop of the black night. "'I don't hear them land. "'Mom!' "'His hand clamps down on mine. "'His eyes are squirming black. "'He says that word again to me. "'Mom, a word I don't deserve. "'And then he falls back and dies.' The jump jet touches down beside the swamp, and I leap out with Sam in my arms. The devil eyes peek over the mountains and light the horrid day. Please, I scream. Somebody help me. I know you're out there. Nothing but silence returns to me. Please, I know you can help me. You're the only ones who can. For the first time in my life, exhaustion buckles my legs, and I collapse by the swamp swamp side. He's not breathing, but those things in his head are still squiggling around. A sure sign, Sam is still alive. Please! My scream echoes across the scum-layered swamp and bounces off the moss-covered trees. Then I see them emerging from the quaggy gloom. It's the first time I've actually seen them up close. They aren't made of wood. It's a brown carapace. And it doesn't cover everything. There are spots of soft white flesh that shine through. The hair isn't ivy. It's lichen-covered vines. Please, I know you can understand me. Please help me. My son, he's sick. They went into his head. Help him. They tower over me, obscuring the devil's sons. Their unblinking black stone eyes rain indifference down at me. Please. I grab one by what I think is his knee. Please. Sam's head rolls about lifelessly in my arms. He's the only thing worth anything to me. I'll do anything. Their voices are a kind of high-pitched chittering, and my embedded translator has a hell of a time adapting to it. Gone. Soul fled. But for his children, there's still time. An ocean of tears fills my throat. I choke them back. I don't understand. A jump jet screams far off in the distance. They can't be following me. I've disabled my transponder. There's no chance they can find this one swamp in the billions that pimple this planet. He has passed, one of them chirps, but his children have a chance, our children too. Children? Are you saying those leeches in his head are children? Revulsion turns my stomach in knots. Were my gun in my hand and not in the jet, they would be in a charred bloody piece. His children, our children, we start as such, then become us, into the waters now for their lives. There is too much to think on, and none of it good— I've failed so terribly I can barely allow myself to breathe. My tongue fumbles for the catch in my false back tooth. Please, one of them warbles. Please, it's soon, for your son, for him. I wade out into the swamp water, carrying Sam in my arms. He's so light, he floats right on the surface. His body parts the scum before us, leaving a bare wake behind our passing. I take him out till I'm waist high. Then I kiss him on his wet, cold cheek and let him go. The swamp water closes over his face as he sinks down into the murk. They get theirs and I get mine. The catch in the tooth is tricky, but I can manage. A little leverage with my tongue and my mouth will turn into a foamy volcano and I, too, will rest in the murk beside him. Suddenly, stars sparkle in the dark waters beneath me. Eight, nine, no, ten little pinpricks of light blossom into being. They're alive and circle around me, chasing each other playfully between my legs. They've hatched. Their serpentine skin brushes up against mine as one darts by my leg. I must be mad. It's all built up and I've snapped loose from the few pieces of foundation I had left. Every tenet broken and I am adrift in a fetid scummy pool filled with brain-sucking leeches. And the maddest of all is that I love this. They duck and flash about my legs, rubbing up against them, which sends waves of pleasure tumbling through me. I feel at peace, at home, alive. And for the first time in my life, I feel free. Free from the Federation. Free from Craig. Free from me. I lie back in the waters and bob on the surface, with my offspring tickling about me. I am mad, mad, mad. And I love it. Then a voice shatters my blessed peace. Beth, you are categorically Section 8, completely, mentally unfit for service. Abruptly I stand. There she is, in all my perfect proportioned glory, standing on the edge of the swamp blue sword sheathed by her side. The willows have evaporated back into the swamp. The glowing lights below my waist have dissipated, but they are there. I can feel them, lightly, nibbling at my arms. I am so disappointed, she says. You are a killer of worlds, revered at the college. I've studied your exploits, And when I got this assignment, I was actually scared. I expected to find Shiva the destroyer herself. Perfect red lips pout and foolish hands fall on curvy hips. But I've found only you, she continues. This mad, whimpering, insane thing. I don't want them to find you like this, too. It's too embarrassing for our line. I'm going to do this for you. Now I know she'll never make it. I know this. She's not me in the least. She's arrogant, foolish, overconfident, and will always be so, no matter what hard lesson life teaches her. She will never learn. I walk carefully back to the water's edge, not making any quick movements to alarm her or the brood. Craig is out and my General McCaw is in, she says diffidently. And that's how they tell you that someone that you love is gone. And I, being her, know how excited she is at this open world now at her feet. Fame, glory, the Federation, and everything else be damned. I climb out of the water, dripping with slime and stench. She backs away from me, draws her sword, and charges it. You are right, I say. For the glory of the Federation, you are right. I have fallen. I have betrayed my love. I have birthed a child. I have let my duties suffer. And I have failed the Federation. There is nothing more for me in this life any longer. I slowly lower myself to the ground on all fours. I extend my head out. And bear my long neck in offering. And like the ambitious fool I know she is, she goes for it. For the Federation, she shouts and brings her crackling blue blade down on nothing. With her head next to mine, my red razor fingernails split her throat with a flick of my wrist. Popping up with her over my shoulder, I launch her end over and into the swamp. She gurgles and screams as bubbles boil in the water about her. The whole swamp roils alive. I look away and stare at the devil eyes till silence falls. It's too hard to watch yourself torn apart. The Federation doesn't stand a chance. There's me, the leader, my boys, the soldiers, and a whole nation of warriors with unimaginable powers. For the Federation, for the Freedom, for the Willows, and for my sons. At my command, we lift the entirety of General McCaw's base into the ash-gray sky and eject it past the stratosphere of our planet.